The reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, we've prayed already in that last song in many ways, so we're going to get stuck uh, straight into to this evening's uh, series. It's a new series. Um, it's entitled Disciples Who Make Disciples, and a key go-to text for any discussion and uh, teaching about discipleship is, of course, the one that Mark referred to last week. Uh, it's from Matthew 28, verse 18. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples a task. He left them with a mission. Very familiar words. Let me read them to you, though. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The task, the mission, was to make disciples. But before we can look at what it means to make disciples, we have to first understand what is a disciple. Jesus was speaking to those who were quite sure of their identity before he sent them out to go and make other disciples. Our trouble often is that... um, we're very quick to get on and do something rather than just simply enjoy being who we are. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler asked Jesus as if there was anything he could do to inherit eternal life, but actually it was all done for him in Jesus Christ. He just needed to trust and believe. So this evening we're going to concentrate first on what is a disciple. It's a word which um, is used... A lot in the church, but not much outside the church. 
we can come back to that one before we... Uh, <laughs> um, it's also a word we might not much think of in terms of describing our relationship with Jesus. Is it a word often we use, disciple? Or are we quite keen to say a Christian or a believer or some other word? So what does it mean? I'd just like you to um, take a minute to chat to your next-door neighbour, um, person sitting next to you. What does it mean to be a disciple? Um, have a chat. If you haven't got any idea, that's fine. Um, we'll come together in a minute. But just um, have a chat. What does it mean to be a disciple? Okay. That's long enough. Um, anybody want to shout out anything that uh, came out of their conversation? What is, it, what is a disciple? Any, what, what, a follower? A follower? John knows. <laughs> Does Jeff know? <laughs> John, do you want to shout something out? A learner? Yeah, a follower, a learner. Anything else? A student. Sorry, over there. An apprentice. Yeah. Imitator. Learner, yeah. Okay, all good things, aren't they? All of those things would describe a disciple. We're going to have a look first now at the, the dictionary definition, what the dictionary says. Um, a personal follower we came up with there of Christ during his life, especially one of the 12 apostles. Or a, not necessarily a Christian definition, but a follower or pupil of, um, of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So in Jesus' day, it was a common term uh, of those who followed the teaching of their particular masters. Um, so the Pharisees had disciples, John the Baptist had disciples, other teachers had disciples. But it does raise the question, if it's a follower, well, what then is a follower? Um, so it's all well and good to say it's a follower, but here we've got another definition. What is a follower? A person um, who supports and admires a particular person or set of ideas. We won't bother about the second definition. Um, and so today we have um, Twitter followers, those who like to read your tweets, um, who admire what you have to say. I don't know how many of you have Twitter accounts or how many followers you have. Um, but um, the interesting thing about people with the most followers, and we're going to show you all Keep jumping ahead too quickly. Um, <laughs> these are people who are not actually teachers. They're people who uh, have lots of followers, but they're not teachers. Most of them actually are, are pop stars. Um, the first, did you see the top one in there? We'll come, come to it now. Katy Perry, 96, 98 million followers. Um, four of those top five are pop stars. Barack Obama is the only exception. And these are guys who have followers, so presumably they have something interesting to say. <laughs> Wait for the pause there. When it comes to Jesus, who has a lot more than 98 million followers, a disciple is much more than someone who simply supports and admires him. And we're going to have a look at what a disciple means this evening. But we're going to focus uh, in that passage in 1 Thessalonians. If you've got it handy, do please um, open it and look to it. If you were at the youth training day yesterday, you would have uh, had a bit of a head start looking at this passage. But hopefully there will be more we can, can mine from it this evening. And the first thing we see from this passage is that a disciple 
is one who is loved and chosen by God. Look at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We shouldn't forget that it is through God's initiative that we become his disciples. Jesus chose his disciples. They were just doing their daily jobs, and he burst into their lives and turned them upside down. The first four disciples were were all fishermen. And we're told in chapter 4 of uh, the book of Matthew, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And Matthew himself, who wrote that gospel, we are told, was sitting at his tax collector's booth uh, when Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. In each case, there is no hesitation. There's a call that cannot be rejected because of the authority of the one doing the calling. So how do we know if we have been chosen? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians there. Have a look at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. I'm sure many of us have been in a situation where we've been at um, in a church service, maybe at an evangelistic event, and um, the gospel is preached. And uh, there's somebody there, who, a great friend of ours, we brought along who would love to respond to it. We've heard it preached clearly and uh, challengingly, and we're thinking, they've got to get it. They've got to understand it. Surely it's just been laid in front of them. But to them, it's just words. It has no impact on them at all. And then there's somebody else who uh, is there in the same meeting, and uh, the message strikes deep into their heart. They've understood the truth of it. They've seen the love of God. They've seen their need for a saviour. What's the difference between the two? Well, the Holy Spirit has opened the eyes of one of them to see, and the words have been given great power and great conviction. And so although there's a response required, it's almost impossible not to respond to the call of God. It's what's called irresistible grace. And if the Holy Spirit has enabled you to respond to Jesus, then you have been chosen and loved by God. Jesus' call is irresistible. I don't know how many of you invite friends along to to church or guest events uh, and the number of people who actually say, yes, I'll come along. Um, if there's anything like me, it's probably fairly low. When Jesus called his friends, his disciples, to come to follow him, not just to a curry night, but to, to give up everything and follow him, it was a 100% success rate. He called 12 people to be his first disciples. 12 people responded, gave up everything, and followed him. But what does the response of a disciple look like? And if they responded to that call, what is the response of a disciple? 
It's one who has turned to Christ. That word we have in the Bible, repented and been forgiven. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians verse 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. To respond to Jesus' call, we need to to turn, to turn from a life that is inward-looking, turned in on itself, to one that is focused on the living and true God. We are all naturally worshippers, but to worship anything other than God, the one true living God, is to worship an idol. And by idols, we don't just mean false gods. An idol is anything that takes the rightful place of God in your life. In Colossians 3, Paul describes greed as idolatry because we are worshipping the object we want to have. We're almost worshipping ourselves as well as uh, uh, saying my need for that object is greater than my need for, for Jesus. The last words of John's first letter are not love and kisses John. They are dear children, keep yourselves from idols. To keep ourselves from idols means we have to know what our idols are. Which means asking yourself a question. Um, a question that addresses the issues of your heart. Such as where do your thoughts drift to? What do you delight in? What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of losing? What is it that gives greatest value to your life without which life would be meaningless? The turning from idols is what we call repentance. And repentance is symbolized in baptism. Dying to the old way of life and rising to, to new life. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, he's saying, demonstrate in that symbolic form that they have repented. They've died to their old way of life, a way of worshipping idols, and they've risen to, to new life. Life that involves serving the living and true God and waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath and that means to have our sins forgiven that's what rescuing us from the coming wrath means when we turn to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness he forgives us for all of our sins past, present and future but repentance is not just that one off act when we turn to Christ it's, it's a daily decision for a disciple of Jesus it involves seeing sin in all its, its hideousness being revolted by sin and instead delighting in God and in his ways it's more than just feeling sorry it's resolving to live for the pleasure and the glory of God It's an ongoing process of transformation in which we gradually rid ourselves of the old way of life, the foolish, darkened thinking and behavior. All that behavior is opposed to Jesus and replacing it with something that is far better. This brings us on to our third point, that a disciple is one who is learning to obey Christ and be like Christ. Have a look at um, verse uh, 5. You know how we lived among you for your sake. This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message 
in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. As we said earlier, a disciple is a pupil, a learner. We should all really have L plates on. It's not like learning to drive a car where we, we pass our test and we, we've made it. Or we think we have. We can take the L plates off because we are a fully qualified driver. Now we never become fully qualified Christians. I was driving the car the other day and hadn't taken the L plates off after Joe had been out for a drive and um, did a little dodgy maneuver. Not that I ever do dodgy maneuvers. And I uh, um, was thinking, obviously, the person coming up behind me was thinking, oh, a learner driver. Um, then probably wondering, why was nobody else in the car with me? Why was I on my own? As Christians, we remain learners until the day we die. And every daily test we take is designed not to somehow disqualify us, because we all always belong to Christ once we are Christians. We can never be disqualified. But each daily test is to make us more like Christ. And all these um, reality TV shows that are on these days, it's all about taking a bunch of people and putting them through tests, isn't it? Whether it's to bake a cake or to um, do a ski jump or survive in the jungle. It's whittling them down until there is one winner in the Christian life, there's no whittling down because we are, we are all winners. The task is to become more and more obedient to Christ, to become more and more like Jesus, and to become more and more free from the power of sin in our lives. How does that process happen? By learning from Jesus, by learning from the teachers that Jesus has sent. Have you ever thought what an amazing privilege it must have been for Jesus' disciples to be taught by Jesus himself. 35 years ago, Bobby Charlton, one of English football's greatest footballers, set up the Bobby Charlton Soccer School. Apparently it's still going strong today. But imagine you signed up expecting to get a bit of coaching from uh, any old coach in the soccer school, and Bobby Charlton himself turns up. Imagine being taught by the one who was the greatest footballer in English football. But even then, what he would have done was teach you how to play football. Jesus' disciples weren't learning a skill or a subject. They were learning a person. And they were learning by seeing him in action. This is why they followed him around. Jesus didn't go around to his disciples and say, look, I'm going to start up a little training course. Uh, Come around 8 o'clock Tuesday night and uh, be there. And we'll teach you a little bit about what it means to be a Christian. No, he says, come, follow me. Listen to me, watch me, imitate me. And they not only listened to his words, they saw his words in action in his life. They asked him questions, they got him to explain what he'd been saying to, to the crowds. That is a real follower. A follower of Jesus was someone who wanted to know everything their teacher knew. But more than that, they wanted to be like their teacher. Not like them in terms of adopting the same physical appearance, but being like them in character. Jesus said in Luke 6, the disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Paul, Silas, and Timothy taught 
the Thessalonians about the gospel. They taught them about Jesus. They sought to model his behavior and act as an example for them to follow. Which is why Paul says here, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. It was never going to be a perfect model to follow, but hopefully it was sufficiently like Jesus to be worth following. As learners, we grow as our understanding deepens, but more importantly, as it begins to be expressed in the actions of our lives. As we learn new ways of thinking and behaving and unlearn the old ways of thinking, and gradually our whole person becomes transformed. Well, the amazing thing about learning to be more like Christ is that actually we become more unaware of ourselves. Um, It's not about becoming a better me and looking at how much progress I've made because that just leads to to pride. It's actually about becoming less preoccupied with ourselves and more preoccupied with others. Which leads us on to the next point, that um, a disciple is one who's given up everything for Christ. As Jesus said in Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The twelve apostles did literally give up everything. The fishermen left their nets, they left their livelihood, they left their families, and they followed him wherever he went. But obviously once Jesus ascended to heaven, his disciples could no longer follow him around. So what did it mean then to give up everything for Christ? Well, it means that our identity as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, is the most important thing in our lives. And all those things that we previously looked at for our identity, maybe our jobs, um, our homes, our money, our leisure activities, our families, our friends, they all take their rightful place. They become subservient to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that they're now worthless. After all, they've been given to us for our enjoyment. And we should be grateful to God for them. But there's a letting go. Our fulfillment in life no longer depends on them. And this is the hardest thing about being a disciple of Christ, because part of us is still hankering after those things. We want a relationship with Jesus. We want to be one of his disciples. But on our terms and you can't be a Christian on your terms if Jesus decides that something is for our good it may mean giving up something it may mean losing something that's important to us then we we accept that we welcome it because we've submitted our lives to his authority and to his good and and wise purposes let's go back to um, 1 Thessalonians Verse 6, Paul writes, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In making that conscious decision to follow Christ, to be his disciples, the Thessalonians were saying they were prepared to suffer as a result. And so if you look over the page of chapter 2, it says in verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people 
the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. It's when we are willing to suffer for our faith, to give up everything for Christ, that we will grow as his disciples. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, he writes this in chapter 1, verse 3, We always ought, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. It goes totally against our natural tendency to to avoid suffering. But God uses it for our good and he enables us to experience the joy of the Spirit. A disciple is one who's given up everything for Christ. And finally, a disciple is one who makes other disciples. Have a look at verse 7. Having welcomed the gospel message and turned to Christ, Paul writes, And so you became a model to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. A natural part of being a disciple is to make disciples. It's, it's like a contagion. When people see the change in you, they want to know what's caused that. And having imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord... The disciples in Thessalonica became a model to others. The Lord's message, the gospel, it says, rang out, not just in the local area, but everywhere. Paul didn't need to go and tell everybody, hey, have you seen what's happened to those guys in Thessalonica? They'd already heard about it. And that was in the days before Twitter. What was the first thing that Jesus said to the disciples he called? He said, come Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the old translation. The latest one, I will send you out to fish for people. I won't just make you disciples. I will make you disciple makers. If we are disciples, then we are disciple makers. It's not just the pastors or the elders or those with particular gifts. It's, it's all of us. And we'll look at what that means during the course of this uh, this series. But let me just make one final comment before we finish, and that's the link between the previous point and this one. Because in verse 6, Paul writes, You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The reason they became a model, the reason people wanted to know about their faith, the reason they were able to make other disciples was because of the way they responded to their suffering. That was with the joy given by the Spirit. And the question I want to leave you with um, this evening is, are we known as those who rejoice in the Spirit always? Or actually are we no different from those around us? We will all suffer in this life. 
in some way or another. But the way in which we respond to that, we reveal what we've put our trust in. Is it the temporary things of this world? Or is it the eternal Son of God? Are we followers of fashion? Or are we followers of Jesus Christ? Do people look at us and do they see Jesus? We're going to have a moment of quiet and... um, what I'm going to do as we finish is just um, take each point we've looked at in turn. I'll pray and just give you a chance to reflect on that in your own lives and hear what the Spirit may be saying to, to each of you. So let's, uh, let's pray. A disciple is one who's loved and chosen by God. Father God, we thank you for the privilege to be loved and chosen by you. We thank you that when we heard the gospel message, that you enabled us to respond to it. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this evening who may not yet have responded to that message. Lord, we pray that you would help them see the truth Help them see in Jesus Christ, the one true living God. The disciple is one who's turned to Christ and been forgiven. Father God, we think of our own old way of life, the things that we thought were important, things we valued. Thank you that you've enabled us to turn from them, to leave them behind. And turn to Christ. Thank you that as we've asked him for forgiveness, he has forgiven us. But we know that there are still things that hold us back, things we still would like to worship. Lord, help us to repent daily. And to turn to Christ daily. Help us to be revolted by, by sin, all those things that you find displeasing. Help us to delight in those things which you find glorious. A disciple is one who's learning to obey Christ and be like Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our great teacher. You've taught us the way to life. You've taught us the way in which we can be friends with you and to, to know God. You've shown us how we can be like you. Lord Jesus, help us each day to become more and more like you. And even when that means going through tough times, Lord, help us to trust in you and rejoice in you. A disciple is one who gives up everything for Christ. Lord Jesus, you are the great pearl of immense value. There is nothing that has value that you have. And therefore, when we give up things, actually, we're really giving up nothing. But Lord, we know 
that is still an earthly attraction we have to the things of this world. And so we do pray that you'd help us to continue giving them up and to put you where you belong to be. A disciple is one who makes other disciples. Lord, as we follow you, as our lives are changed by you, we pray that people would see the difference. We pray that they would ask us for a reason for the hope we have. And Lord, give us in our hearts a longing to see others share the same joy and hope that we have. Help us not to keep that great news to ourselves, but to share it with those around us. Hear our prayers as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.